So this morning, we are going to continue on this series that we have entitled Uncomplicating Relationships. And, and for those of you who are wondering, yes, that's totally a made-up word. Like, we know that. I, I try to put, like, the quotes around it. But, but here's what we, we know. We, we've often heard this phrase used before. Man, how's your relationship? Man, it's complicated. <laughs> right? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. You're like, man, we're past that honeymoon phase. And we have different ways that we navigate our relationships. And, and this morning, we're going to tackle a passage that we read earlier, Ephesians 4, to help us understand that. But before we go to the text, I just want to share a little bit about me because, you know, we're still getting to know each other and you're still getting to know me. And there's something that's part of my life that I think is going to help us as we dive into this passage. You may not know this, and this may be shocking to some of you. But my first job, when I had just turned 15, was working with horses. All right. (laughs) It was working with horses. Now, you got to be thinking, wait, I thought you were born and raised here in the city of Miami. I am. But there's this small part of Miami affectionately known as horse country. And there was a school that had a summer camp there, and it had horses on the property. And I was just looking for a, a job and they were able to hire me as a ranch hand. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what that meant. I know nothing about horses, nothing about animals. I had no clue that this was going to be such a physically demanding job in the summer, like 95 plus degree heat to be out in the fields. And here was one of my responsibilities. You had to learn how to pick the stalls. Now, some of you are like, what is that? That means you get a pitchfork, you go into the stalls where the horses have been, and you pick up what they dropped. You know what I'm saying, right? Then you had to take that pitchfork, put the droppings of manure into a wheelbarrow. Then I had to walk it out five acres away from the barn and do what they called spreading the manure. I learned a very valuable lesson my first time doing it, which was I should have checked for which way the wind was blowing. So here I am. I'm like, so I just, I just, can I not just dump the wheelbarrow? And the guy's like, no, then I'll have this huge mound, and then the grass is going to try to grow over, and our field's going to look all lumpy. you got to get it. And spread it. I was like, okay, I got this. I'm 15. You know, I get out there, wheelbarrow, scoop it up, toss it, wind, whoosh, right all over my face, all over my body. And I'm like, amazing. Day one on the job. Awesome. Then my mom picks me up after work. I sit in and I'm like, she's like, oh, my goodness, what is that smell? I was like, I have been with horses for eight hours today. I've been picking stalls. I had a little incident spreading the manure where it just flew all over me. Yeah, I smell pretty bad. <laughs> she made me sit in the back, wouldn't let me sit up front, rolled down the windows. We get to the house. She wouldn't let me come inside the house. She's like, no, you're taking all that dirty clothes, and you're leaving it in the garage, and then you can come into the house. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm so like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And this is day one of the job. I got to do this all summer long. And it was hilarious. But, but here's why I share that story. Just like I had to take off this dirty, smelling clothes and then take a shower and put on new clothes, that's the imagery that the Apostle Paul introduces in Ephesians chapter 4, and he does a similar thing in Colossians chapter 3. He likes this imagery where he says, when you begin to follow Jesus Christ, part of your sanctification, part of your journey of following Jesus Christ is learning to identify the old patterns of your life that followed after the sinful flesh that we all have. And learning to take off the old life like you would take off a garment. And learning to put on the new life 
walking in the spirit, following after Jesus and his teachings. This idea of recognizing there are certain patterns, sinful behaviors in our life that are not pleasing to the Lord, identifying them, removing them intentionally. It's like part of our consistent journey. And then intentionally embracing ourselves, wrapping ourselves in the new life that Jesus Christ calls us to live. In this passage, Ephesians 4 Paul is picking up on that theme, and he's challenging the church with some spiritual truths that he's saying these are going to be absolutely foundational if you're going to develop unity in this new community of believers. Like, if you're going to have a healthy church, it starts by learning to live out these godly virtues and identifying the patterns and the behaviors in your life that are destructive because those have the potential of destroying the church. Those have the potential of destroying the relationships that God has placed around you. And so what we're doing this morning is looking at this passage to see what can we learn from this text. What's a practical skill that can help us in uncomplicating relationships with those around us and those close to us? And if you had to sum up the whole sermon in one statement, it would be this. And I want to encourage you to take notes. I love when you take notes, so feel free. You can pull out your phone. Type this down, but here would be the main premise, the big idea. Here's what we're going to go on after. Pursuing kindness and forgiveness is essential for developing healthy relationships. I'm going to say that one more time. Pursuing kindness and forgiveness is essential for developing healthy relationships. Let's go ahead and read the scripture passage one more time. Ephesians, 5, or 4, Ephesians 4, verse 25 through 32, the word of the Lord says this. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. I love this phrase, because we are members of one another. So he reminds them, look, we're a community. We're a faith family. We're a church. So remove this and start doing this in its place. Put away lying. Rather, be a person who speaks the truth, each one to his neighbor. Look at verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Not to be taken literally. It's just saying, hey, this is urgent when you're... When you notice that you have anger that's getting out of control, do your best to deal with it in a timely manner. Look at verse 27. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. I love it. He's, hey, if you were a thief and you used to like con people and used to steal things, stop doing that. Start doing honest work. But I love the motivation for honest work. So that you can have enough resources to be a generous person meeting the needs of those around you. What what a beautiful thing. God is not against you making money. God wants you to work hard and be diligent. But is what are you going to do with your wealth? Like how are you impacting the lives that God has placed around you? And so we continue in this passage. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he has to do honest work with his own hand. That he has something to share with anyone in need. Look at verse 29. And this is where we're going to focus in for the sermon today. We're going to focus on 29 to 32. It says, let no foul language come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. Look at verse 30. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, for you are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice, and here's the key verse, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. 
Now, I recognize this is a very weighty and difficult passage. In fact, as we dive deeper into the text and we start to talk about the theme of forgiveness, I recognize that it is going to bring to mind a lot of emotions in your life. And in no way do I want us to like approach this subject and this topic as if though it was something easy to just be able to embrace and move on. We're going to dive deeper into what this looks like. But I do want us to understand this, that we are in a spiritual battle. And there's always going to be a constant tension in your life between following the old sinful patterns that we know live inside of us in the flesh and battling against that with what the Spirit and the Word of God is encouraging us to adopt and embrace as a new way of life in place of who we used to be apart from Jesus. There's always going to be that tension between the two. That's the world that we live in. That's the reality of the situation. And every day is a decision that you make where you have to decide if you're going to give in to the flesh, give in to the selfish, sinful impulses that just hit your mind and your heart and your thoughts, or if you're going to identify the destructive habits, remove them from your life, and intentionally pursue this new life in Jesus Christ. That's what we're wrestling with. If we want to have a healthy relationship with someone that we love, if we want to have healthy relationships with family, if we want to have healthy relationships with those at work, with those around our church, we have to take what the Apostle Paul is saying seriously. And we have to adopt this kind of life where we notice we have to identify the destructive patterns, we have to deal with them, and we have to choose a new path forward. And we must make that intentional decision. There's going to be two truths that we're going to focus in on, and I want to challenge you to write the first one down. Here's the first one. The Apostle Paul's challenging us to replace corrupt speech with edifying speech. If you want to pursue a healthy relationship, one of the first disciplines and skills that you have to learn is being able to replace this corrupt, foul speech with edifying speech. Instead of trying to tear people down with your words, you're trying to build people up. With your words, you see it right there in verse 29. It says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. I love this phrase, so that it gives grace to those who hear. It says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, for you are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Now that word that's translated there, foul, is a word that's used a couple times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word that helps describe rotten fish or rotten fruit. I mean, you can just almost like, almost think and smell that right now, right? As you even think about rotten fish. Man, I, I like to go fishing and, the, you know, there was some fun stuff when I was a kid. My dad and my abuelo papo, we used to go fishing and we had so many fun times just going out sometimes to the bridge there by the Rickenbacker Causeway and sometimes we'd go down to the Keys. And, you know, on one of those fishing trips, I was younger I may have forgotten my assignment to remove the squid, the bait that we used from the hook before putting the rods back in the car. You kind of know where this is going. And so we start getting on the road. It doesn't take long before you realize, like, dude, what, what is that smell? Yeah, it was me. I forgot. My bad. You know, it was a simple assignment. And then this other trip, then it wasn't my fault. I'm not going to say it was my dad. It may have been my dad. I think it was my dad. We had leftover squid in a cooler that we forgot to remove from the cooler, and we left the cooler in the car overnight. Now, you want to talk about a smell that just won't come out of your car? That'll do it right there. 
Now, as we're all visualizing what that is, now I want you to make this connection. That is what the Apostle Paul is connecting to words that come out of our mouth that don't help edify and build people up. I want you to realize this. I want you to feel the full weight of this. Words are powerful. And with our speech and with our words, we have the power to destroy people or we have the power to encourage, to edify, and to lift up people. If you want to have healthy relationships, it starts with your communication, like how you treat each other. How are you going to live a life of mutual respect? This isn't to say that you're not going to be frustrated. This isn't to say that you're going to get into a relationship and everything is peachy and perfect. No, by all means, that's not reality. But how you respond to differences, how you show each other mutual respect, the way in which you communicate an unmet expectation, the way that you communicate a frustration in the relationship, that we do have control over. And if the pattern of your communicating is lashing out and having outbursts, belittling people, gossiping, slandering, it's going to be very difficult for you to establish healthy communication because eventually you're going to build up a reputation of being the person that always talks bad about someone else. That every time we hang out with you, you bring up somebody else's problems and issues. You're always tearing somebody down. You're always comparing somebody to someone else. And over time, just like the rotten fish makes you want to veer and go the other direction, people will eventually start doing that to you. But imagine if you learned the discipline and the habit of using your words to give grace to those who hear. Just like the scripture says. Or imagine if you develop the discipline and the habit of using your words to encourage the people that God has placed around you. Imagine if you use your words to speak life into somebody. Do you think that people will want to spend more time with you or run away from you? It's natural. You want to be around people that you know love and respect you. You want to be with people that love and encourage you. But it's difficult to want to keep spending time with someone that feels draining. Like the more time you spend with them, you feel like all you did was gossip about somebody else. You feel like all you did was slander and say crude things about someone else. And over time, that eats away at your soul. And over time, it wears on you and becomes very difficult. Your words are either going to give grace in life or they're going to give off the kind of stench that we associate with rotten fish. I love this. Look at verse 30, and it says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, for you are sealed by him for the day of redemption. So what does that phrase mean? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It means to cause him sorrow with our sin. Notice that the Apostle Paul here, he's talking to a church. These are believers following after him. He's not saying, hey, if you keep doing this, you're going to lose your salvation. No, that's not what he does. He reminds them, actually, that they're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. He's like, no, no. You have been saved and sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are part of God's family. And it is because you're part of his family that he expects you to act differently. You are part of his family. He has certain expectations that he places on his followers to live a different way than how we used to live. And he's not saying, dude, you're going to lose your salvation if you do X, Y, Z. He's saying, no, you, you should know better. And when you do X, Y, Z, you grieve God's spirit. The father is saddened when he sees some of the ways we speak to one another, some of the ways we lash out at some of the people that are closest to us. It's crazy, right? Like people that we know we love, and sometimes they can see the worst of us. 
And when we give in to that, the spirit is grieved and, and he's sad. He's saddened by our actions. And although here it's immediately following verse 29, this explanation would encompass all of the different teachings in the verses preceding. So anytime we live a life that is against what God has called us to live, we grieve him with our choices, our decisions, and our words. So now that we understand like the weight of our words in developing healthy relationships, let's take a look at what God's word says about the importance of embracing kindness and forgiveness. Here's the second truth that we're wrestling with. The Apostle Paul is calling us to replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness. We are called to replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness. Look at verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. I love this phrase. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Paul's basically saying we must put off these resentful attitudes, this festering anger that we have, these indignant outbursts, this public shouting, this abusive language, this hostility that is reigning in our hearts. And in their place, we are called to put on kindness and forgiveness. You know, the old life comes with a hostile heart bent towards developing bitterness, constantly seeking its own ways constantly wishing evil on others. And the Apostle Paul is challenging our hearts. And he's saying this is not the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's where we get to the tough passage, where we recognize that this is very serious. In fact, there's an author that I love reading, Warren Wiersbe. He says it this way. This is why this is so important. An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. And before long, it becomes the Christian's battleground. When you're dealing with bitterness, and the bitterness is leading to anger, and the anger is starting to get out of control, and it leads to shouting, and the shouting continues to fester and get out of control, and before you know it, you're operating with malice, which is like an evil intention and a desire in your heart to see the other person that you're aiming it at feel pain and harm. And what this author is simply saying is like, when we start to develop bitterness that leads to an unforgiving spirit, when somebody has hurt you, when somebody has harmed you, in essence, what you're doing is you're entering the devil's playground where he now has you on his turf. And before long, this becomes this battleground where you're constantly going to be struggling and fighting to get out of that vicious cycle. And so it's very serious for us to talk about forgiveness. And, and there's so many different ways. Again, I don't want to minimize the pain that many of you are feeling right now just as you think about the concept of forgiveness. I myself, I know what it's like to feel betrayed, to be hurt, to be wounded, to have friends do certain things to cause pain in your life. I get that. And I know some of you are dealing with wounds that stem back several years to your early childhood, maybe some recent. For whatever it is, many of you are dealing with pain. You're dealing with hurt. And in your mind and in your heart, you're wrestling with, what is my role on this journey? Should I forgive or should I withhold forgiveness? And that's what we're wrestling with today. We are going to talk about what does this look like? How do we do something? How do we move forward out of this vicious cycle? 
Let's go back to that word bitterness. Bitterness refers to a hard-heartedness that harbors resentment from the past. And it just starts. It could be small. In a marriage relationship, it could be the small little things that keep stacking up, and you start to develop resentment in your heart, and you haven't articulated these unmet expectations. You haven't articulated how you're feeling, and over time, these small little resentments start adding up, and before you know it, it all comes out in one force, and you lash out, and you vent, and you get frustrated. You didn't deal with the small resentment. You let that resentment build up bitterness, and then you see the progression right there in the text. The bitterness turns to anger and wrath. The anger and wrath eventually leads to shouting, and that shouting in the Greek language is like a public quarrel between two people going back and forth having a shouting match. I think I'm seeing like a lot of heads like, yeah, we all can kind of visualize that. I'm not saying you guys have ever experienced that personally, right? Maybe it's just me. Right? Like we've gotten to that spot at some point. The anger has gotten to us. We're like now it's like a boxing match. And we're going one, two, and back and forth with this person. Like you're there. And then you go from that, and it says with all malice. And that's like this stage where it's gone beyond the shouting. And now this resentment, this bitterness is so deep-rooted that now you see the other person through the lens of malice. You desire evil things in your thoughts and your mind towards this person. You don't want them to experience joy in life. You want them to feel nothing but pain because of the pain they've caused you. How do we deal with that? How do we remove this kind of bitterness from ruling and reigning our hearts? It's a great question, and it's not easy. But I think one thing that we can do is by drawing our attention and putting our eyes on Jesus Christ and asking God to help fill our hearts with his perfect love. Because we are frustrated, we have resentment, we have anger, and the only way to combat that is by filling ourselves with something completely different. And what better than to focus on God, a God who is loving, and a God who is forgiving. You know, some things that the Apostle Paul encourages us here is instead of being consumed by our bitterness and our anger, we're encouraged to be kind and compassionate. We must learn to be kind and compassionate to the people that God has placed around us. What does it mean to be kind? It means to do good towards others. It means to think of somebody else's needs above your needs. Like going into a friendship, going into a marriage, going into a relationship, and thinking about that person's needs and how you can be kind and compassionate, emotionally engaged in the relationship, to care about this other person's well-being. Like you desire to see good in their life. You desire to speak truth into their life. You desire to serve your friend. You desire to serve your spouse. That's what it means to be kind. That's what it means to be compassionate, to be concerned and to care for the well-being of the people that God has placed around you. In essence, what you're doing is you're killing the idol of selfishness and you're putting somebody else's needs at the front and center of what God has called you to do. Help, love, care, and meet for this person, this person's needs. That's what it means to be kind. And then at the same time, the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He gives us a very straightforward challenge, and he says we must learn to forgive others. We must learn to forgive others. And, and I want to say this, forgiveness is messy. And it's usually not just a one-time action in many situations. Forgiveness can sometimes be a lifelong endeavor, a lifelong process. And 
Not something you can just say, like, okay, I've done, I've forgiven it. And at the same time, I want to say this. To forgive is not necessarily to forget. Because we've heard this phrase, oh, man, you just need to forgive and forget. Guys, guess what? We're human. If you've been deeply hurt and wounded before, you don't forget that kind of stuff. The, the kind of forgiveness the Lord is calling us to do is not to say, like, hey, I'm just going to forget it. It never happened. No, it, it happened. We have to recognize that this pain happened. You're not forgetting it. But it's what you're choosing to do in the midst of that pain with all of this hurt, with all of the stuff that's been thrown on you. That's what we're wrestling with. We're not saying, hey, just you know, forgive and forget. It's easy. It's not easy. Forgiveness is messy. Forgiveness can be a lifelong process for some of us. But we're called to forgive. I love this. The text is so clear. We forgive one another. Look at this phrase. We forgive one another because God forgave us. As you wrestle with like, man, but why should I forgive? What is the point? And it's like the Apostle Paul just comes and he first provides a theological response to why. Like, why should I care? And why should I extend forgiveness to someone who's caused so much pain and hurt my life? And, and the first thing the Apostle Paul says, and again, this isn't to minimize your pain, but it's to help us realize we have to have a complete shift in perspective if we're ever going to find healing in the midst of our pain. And what he says is, we forgive one another because God forgave us. So the foundational truth to encourage us to take that step and extend forgiveness to someone is drawing our eyes on God and recognizing that we have been forgiven. In fact, I love this. C.S. Lewis, a great author, theologian, he wrote it this way. He says, forgiveness, as it reflects the character of God, he says it this way. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Why do we forgive? When you place your life and all the things that you've done, and you match it up to the holiness and the perfection and the goodness of God, it doesn't take much to realize that God is holy other than us. Like our brokenness, our sinfulness, everything that we've done, even if you consider yourself to be a good person, if you look at the deep, dark secrets that only you know and God knows, you recognize that we are sinful, broken beings. And yet the scripture tells us that God loves you so much that he provided a way of salvation to give you forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ. God takes on the form of flesh. He enters into his own creation, lives a sinless, perfect life, dies a death on a cross that he didn't deserve for crimes he didn't commit, and then to prove that Jesus was truly God, he defeats death and therefore defeats sin through the resurrection. And no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what you've done in your past, the good news of the scriptures, the good news of the Bible is that God loves you and through Jesus Christ, he's offering you a way of forgiveness to have new life and a new identity as part of his family. And so as we wrestle with why should I forgive, let our eyes focus on Jesus and the forgiveness that we've received from the Lord. We forgive because God has forgiven us. We forgive because it reflects the very character and nature of God. And we should strive to forgive because we can truly live out and follow God's example and obey his commands. Look at some more scriptures. I want to read a few passages that just show us more about the character of God. Look at Psalm 145, 8. This is in the Old Testament. 
It's a description. You see this phrase in the Old Testament several ways, like when people are trying to describe who is God and what's he like. This is one of the consistent explanations, and I love it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. That's who God is. In fact, in Exodus, when God chooses to appear before Moses and he gives himself an introduction, he uses that similar language. That he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, great in faithful love. That's who God is. This is the God we say we are trying to follow and worship. Look at another passage, Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, And forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. And here's that theological reflection. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. But let's bring it back to reality. Forgiveness does not come natural to us. Forgiveness is something that we have to ask the Lord for strength and direction, because naturally it's not what exudes from the inside. It's not something we want to do. It's not something we want to pursue, but it is something that God encourages us to do. It's something God actually commands us to do. The way that this is structured in the original language is this isn't like a nice encouragement, but it's an expectation from the Lord where he says, how can you withhold forgiveness from someone when you've been forgiven so much in your life. If I want to say it this way, and I'm put this on the screen, to withhold forgiveness is to not fully understand or appreciate God's forgiveness through Christ. Like if you're at that spot, you've been wronged, you've been hurt, and you're wrestling with, man, I don't know what to do. I want you to wrestle with this statement. What God would say to you is to intentionally, purposely withhold forgiveness is to not fully understand and appreciate God's forgiveness through Christ. And the weight of that, what that means to have received forgiveness from the creator of the universe that we have sinned against, that we continuously defy sometimes in our daily living, and yet he lavishes his love, he lavishes his grace upon us, and he extends forgiveness to us through Jesus Christ, his son. To intentionally, maliciously withhold forgiveness to someone is to not fully appreciate the forgiveness that we have received from the Lord through Christ. So why forgive? I want to encourage you with the fruit of forgiveness. I love this quote. Paul David Tripp, author, counselor, theologian, he says it shortly, but it's so beautiful. He says, forgiveness is the fertile soil in which unity and relationships grow. If you want to experience final healing, It starts with exploring the journey of forgiveness. To withhold forgiveness is going to prolong the healing. The pain is there. The resentment, the bitterness, it's there. To withhold forgiveness will keep the bitterness and the resentment residing in your heart. And that's not to minimize the frustration. It's not to minimize the pain. But if you want to experience healing, if you want to see relationships thrive and grow, They grow when you develop a culture of mutual forgiveness. When we have 
open lines of communication where we can express the frustrations that we have in our life to one another in a calm and respectful manner. Where you're not lashing out, where you're not yelling, where you're not shouting, but you're sitting down and say, hey, I just want to let you know, you may not be aware of this, but here's how I felt hurt based on what happened this week or today. And work through it, process it, talk through it without letting the anger and the emotions dominate the conversation, without shouting, without disrespecting one another, without saying things you're going to regret later on, but pursuing conversation, expressing it, articulating it, and then ultimately fostering an environment where you learn to mutually love and care for one another by extending forgiveness to one another. Because only in creating that culture can you truly have the fertile soil that's going to cause this relationship to thrive and for this relationship to lead into this beautiful unity that displays the love of God to those around you. And that's what we're after. That's what we're trying to do. We recognize we need forgiveness. Forgiveness is part of what God calls us to do and to live. Now, in this moment, as we close this morning, I want to encourage you to embrace this new life that Jesus Christ calls you to live. And, and I recognize there's a lot of hurt in this room. But I'm going to have the worship team come up, and I'm going to have them sing a song. And, and what I would do is I want to create space for you to just pray to the Lord and ask God, God, is there someone in my life that I have been choosing to withhold forgiveness from? And then ask the Lord, what would you have me do, God? And spend some time talking and praying with the Lord and saying, God, I want to find healing. I want to move forward. I don't want to stay stuck in the past. I don't want to stay dwelling on the pain over and over and letting resentment and bitterness and anger dominate my heart. Bitterness is just a poison that is going to kill you slowly. But you're recognizing, yes, Lord, I have been hurt. And yes, God, you are just and you are holy. And I bring to you all of my pain of the past and I want healing, God. And I want you to help me to forgive those who have harmed and hurt me. And I want you to just take some time there in your seats and pray and ask God to do a work. Let me close this in prayer, and then we're going to transition to a time of reflection while the worship team sings. Lord, we love you, and we are grateful for this passage of Scripture that is so challenging and so deep. And Lord, we recognize that forgiveness is not easy. It is something that we must learn, but ultimately it's something that has to be empowered by you and the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask right now, would you help us to focus our eyes on the forgiveness that we have received from you? And Lord, would you give us the strength and the courage to be kind and compassionate, to extend forgiveness to those around us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.